Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Jean Thompson. Jean is the owner and CEO of Seattle Chocolate Factory. She stepped into the role from her position as an investor after the Nisqually earthquake hit the early 2000s and destroyed their factory. In the last 18 years, Jean has rebranded the company using Pacific Northwest inspiration and ingredients, launched the J. Coco chocolate line, which focuses on helping feed hungry families, has taken many steps towards sustainability, and has more than quadrupled the company's revenue. Jean is also a wife and a mother, and her gorgeous daughter is here with us in the studio. Welcome, Ellie, too. Um, welcome, Jean. Thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast. This is a super big treat for me because we've been friends for a while, and I've seen you on um, panels and just kind of watched your story, and I, of course, love overindulging in your chocolate. <laughs> Thank you for that. Everybody <laughs> needs to do their part. It, it's ridiculously good, especially the ones where David and I went and got the, like, ones that were broken, and we thought that that kind of almost didn't count. Yeah. When it's a factory second, then there's no calories. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We were just like, <laughs> oh, how about a handful? Ugh, yeah. Very good. Okay. So we're going to start the podcast with some rapid fire. You ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. This one I thought of when I was at the movies, and I thought you probably eat a lot of the J. Coco and Seattle chocolate, chocolate, but what candy do you buy when you're at the movies? Well, it's funny because I do have often smuggle my own chocolate in there, but when I forget to do that, I eat M&Ms. Oh, M&Ms. Mm-hmm. And no gummies. No, no gummies. No Swedish fish. They're okay occasionally, but I really am you're a chocolate, chocolate lover. Yeah. M&M, peanut M&Ms? I actually prefer the plain. Oh, yeah. I love m and I'll eat a peanut in a pinch, of yeah. course. Like steak and potatoes could be sitting there, and if there's M&M's, <laughs> exactly. if there's chocolate. <laughs> I love chocolate. Yeah, I'm like, I'm a huge uh, consumer. Um, what is one habit that you're trying to form? Reading more often, more regularly. Yeah. It's hard, right? Well, you I love listen. it. Audio. Yeah, and I have that half-hour commute each way, but now I have my daughter commuting with me, and yeah. that's way more fun. You can listen to podcasts. We could listen to podcasts together. Yes, together. What is your rhythm? Are you late to bed, or are you early to rise? I do better when I'm early to rise, but I'm often late to bed. Yeah. Yeah. That's my time with my husband or family to talk and kind of unwind, and I just don't have time for that I until late it. at night. I get it. What is your favorite kind of music? You know, I like all music, and music is sort of my um, salve. When I'm stressed, I listen to music. If I know there's a lot of traffic, I just put on something from my childhood, and it takes me back. But I guess I kind of like um, when there's a lot of instrumentation, where there's going to be a lot of strings and a lot of brass. And so you can go from Bruce Springsteen, or where he'll pull in that that saxophone, or then I even like um, a Zac Brown, where there's a ton of instrumentation. So I go across the spectrum, but I like a big sound. Yeah. Are you ocean or mountains? Ocean. Ocean, me too. What word would your friends use to describe you? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, probably opinionated. <laughs> You're the friend who's going to give it straight? Yes. Okay. So tell me about you because this podcast is, um, yes, we're talking the business and what it's like to be a female CEO and all sorts of questions that we'll get to. But... Um, I tend to really love to know kind of who the person is. Tell me about your childhood. Yeah, I had a really happy childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, in Connecticut. In, grew up in Connecticut to two New Yorkers who were 20 years old when they had my older brother. So very young parents, both still alive, still married. Wow. So as stable as it gets. My father was a really hard worker. Um, he was often not around. He traveled a lot in sales roles in high tech. You know, he worked at IBM, you know, at the beginning almost. Um, and so just... Three siblings, uh, two boys, two girls in the family. I grew up thinking that men and women, girls and boys, were equal. I mean, I had to rake the leaves and bring out the garbage just like my brothers. Um, We all were expected to go to college. 
Uh, my mother didn't get a college degree, but my father did. And, um, you know, it was just expected that we all would. So I probably was the overachiever of the four kids, um, you know, the straight-A student mm. and super conscientious. And what was that from? Like, what, what fueled that? Sometimes it's when I ask people that, it could be um, fear of failure or, like, out to prove something or just needing validation or just simply yeah. enjoying being being smart and successful. No, I think it was definitely fear of failure. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't. I wanted. I just definitely wanted to be good at anything that I took on. And if I wasn't, I would often avoid it. Mm-hmm. You know, like tennis didn't come naturally to me. But I grew up in a family that played tennis, so I didn't play tennis mm-hmm. because I wasn't that good right away. I love the idea of taking on stuff that makes you uncomfortable. Yeah, well, and that's what I've learned over time, over the many decades, is that those are the things that I remember most and are the most forming in mm-hmm. my life. But as a kid, you're not mature enough to kind of recognize that. And I think I never liked anybody criticizing me. Of and, course. Yeah, I never liked being judged. I was my own harshest critic. So I didn't like to take things on that I wasn't good at. And I was always someone who had to work at things. Mm-hmm. Is and, there stuff that you would say comes naturally? Um, I think actually just being positive comes naturally to me. Like mm-hmm. just seeing the silver lining. And if a situation happens, I'm like, okay, here's the good that came out of that. I don't mm-hmm. tend to go to the negative or the dark. So I feel like that's a, a natural benefit that I have. Huge. And are your parents like that? Uh, yeah, I guess they are. Both of them. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Are you more like your mom or more like your dad? Oh, my mother used to say to me, and it was truly intended as an insult, even though they're still married 64 years, you're just like your father. Yeah, just like your kid. father. <laughs> yeah, I would, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. You mentioned that um, you had to work harder. Um, so what was high school like for you? Was that a successful time in your life? Um, the most miserable four years of my life were high school. I would never want to go back. Um, I actually was successful in terms of grades because it's basically all I did. I, played... I would not picture that. I picture you as like the cheerleader, captain of this, captain of no. that. I picture you as that person. No. No, I was miserable. Mm. I was one of those people who I think that just the whole hormonal journey in high school at the time, you don't know what's happening to you, was really hard on me for some reason. Mm-hmm. And I was just super cranky and irritable. And I was also really mature. So I had this this feeling that other people were being phonies. I remember mm. saying to my mother, oh, they're laughing and it's not funny. And she's like, can you please just laugh? Just, just do yourself a favor. But I couldn't do it. So I was I didn't have a lot of friends. And um, I just really hated high school. It was miserable. Every night my mother, she gave me this little like, you know, Catholic medal that said, my mother, my confidence with a picture of the, ver- and I'm not an overly religious person, nor is she anymore, but she had this and she made me rub it every night. My mother, my confidence, my mother, my confidence, because huh. she believed. Do you still have it? No. I don't know. We got to tell your mom to get you a new one. Yeah, I need a new one. It of those. worked. Yeah. It, it, well, it took decades, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> so you stud- ended up studying psychology at Bates College. That's right. Bates is one of those small liberal arts, East Coast. Yeah. I feel it's... like I know this school. It's super tiny, like super 14, tiny. 1,500 kids yeah. at, at most now. It's grown a little when, when I was there. It was How did you choose Bates? You know, I wanted, a, I wanted a school that did not have the, the Greek system. I just felt like that wasn't going to work for me. And I wanted a school that was, you know, very academically challenging and mm-hmm. uh, had a good reputation. And I knew I wanted it to be small because I, I didn't want to get lost in sort of the the noise. That of is big mature university. that you knew that all that about yourself. It worked for me. I remember my mother sending me away to college saying, will you please not get straight A's and have some fun? Oh, oh. well, you're, you're making up for it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> she, yeah. She sees that. That's She's the, proud. That's the message of proud mama. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you were like more serious. It very like. serious. Very yes. serious. I had this epiphany when I was, um, I think, a junior in high school where I, I realized um, I got to stop being so serious and I got to start just kind of loosening up and finding who I am. So when I went, I, I realized that it was this sort of clean break going away to college. And I was I made a conscious decision to be different mm. and to not let, you know, not to criticize other people's laughing at things that aren't funny. Right. And just let myself laugh, maybe fake it till you mm-hmm. make it. And it sort of released my inner true self, ironically. Mm. But when I went away, I was like, I'm just not going to be that old person. And no one knows me and nobody I don't have to be that person to sort of be true to myself anymore. Mm-hmm. So by making that conscious decision, I. I changed and I became more relaxed and happier. I love that. Yeah. What did you want to do with your psychology degree? Or yeah, 
Well, actually, I thought I wanted to go to med school and be a doctor because mm. I've always had sort of an insight, and my daughter Ellie has this even more so, a kind of read people well, um, which is both a blessing and a curse, right? Because you're like, okay, that person in the right-hand corner of the room, just there's a subtle eye roll. You're, high, what I you're, just said. you're like highly empathetic. I'm so empathetic. Me too, I know. It's it, a, is, it is a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing and a curse. It's great as a you CEO. You can feel energy. Yes. And I can feel when it's negative and it like takes me down and destroys me and mm-hmm. they didn't even say anything. Right. Right. It may have nothing to do with you because you're also, I'm guessing, a people pleaser like me. Right. So the, the combo can be great as a CEO because yes. you're a servant leader and that's mm-hmm. great. But when you feel like something's off, it can be a big distraction when it doesn't need to be. Yeah. And it really upsets me. Yeah. Right. So I wanted to become a psychiatrist. Mm. And then I took my year of, of chemistry and year of physics and year of calculus at this very rigorous college. And I was like, yeah, that's not for me. <laughs> I cannot do this for eight more years. And yeah, for what? So then I thought, well, I'll be a psychologist. And then I finally realized, you know, I'm just going to go into business. And what happens will happen. My father got me my first job right out of college at a small um, high-tech company in Connecticut. And that's how it all started. You've had a robust career, and um, we could get into it and kind of go through your resume. But I'm more curious to know which of your jobs shaped you the most Mm -hmm. um, to, A, become a mother, and B, become uh, a CEO. I think that, um, well, the Seattle Chocolate job and the 18 years doing that has shaped me as a person the most. Mm -hmm. But what prepared me for those, um, well, just life, you know, having a great role model. My mother's amazing. She's still the most unconditional love that's in my life. Um, And she was consistent with her four kids and she, you know, loved them all differently but equal. You know, she's like, that one needs more. I'm going to give them more. So she was a great role model as a mother. Um, And then preparing me to be a CEO, I think Microsoft. I think that job Mm -hmm. was was great. I, Is that what brought you to mm, Seattle? Yeah. And so what role did you have at Microsoft and how long were you there? Um, I was there for four years. It was corporate communications. So advertising, packaging, design, by the way, very helpful in the consumer you know, product world that I'm in for uh, with chocolate. But also, I just think kind of knowing how to work as a team. There's mm-hmm. so many different people. I didn't, uh, you know, I had a lot of autonomy as around the 2000th employee there. But I also still had to work um, among a group of people and had people who I had to you know, serve as clients, the product mm-hmm. managers. And so I think really knowing how to play with a lot of different types of people was probably the best training to be a CEO. Yeah. And so you moved out here um, for Microsoft and you were married at the time, yes. right? Yes. And so um, what was his job? How did he feel about that? Move. He was, well, he was actually the first one to get the job at Microsoft. We were both living oh, in the Bay Area okay. when we got married. And then he uh, was the product manager for the mouse. Oh. So he, and then he ultimately became the vice president running the hardware group. Um, so he sort of flew under the radar as the one hardware department in the software company. Okay. So he had, he had a really fun job. And then mine was in a completely different area. And with the last name Thompson, very few you, people yeah. knew even knew each other. Yeah. They didn't connect it's dots. A, it's a, definitely a common name. Yes. Yeah. And so you were there for four years. And then was it from there that you decided to, well, you had two kids, mm-hmm. Ellie, and then you have a son, right? Danny. Danny. Yeah. And so um, did you make a conscious decision to stay home with them? Yes. Okay. And, and it was an interesting, uh, that was a journey too, because so Danny is my oldest. He's 29. And I cannot believe you have a 20. I know, right? It, got, it went by like a blur. Oh my I mean, gosh. I remember it like it was yesterday. So I was pregnant with him at Microsoft, and they actually created a job share so that I could work part-time just for me. It was the first time it was ever done at Microsoft, I think. And Look at you, trailblazer. I know. They were trailblazers for well, me. I know they were trailblazers, yeah. but like, it's amazing. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And so then I did it for a few months. So after having Danny and you, you had a three-month uh, matern- maternity leave, I went back and I was like, yeah, none of this matters anymore. So mm-hmm. as I would sit in traffic, or... did you think that it was going to matter? I did because I, I think this loved is a my job. super important conversation because a lot of people leave with one intention and then they meet their child, and it, it can change certain people. It definitely changed me, and I guess I realized about myself, and I'm still kind of like this. I have to have a singular purpose. Like I can be a mother and a CEO, but they they alternate in times, right? I right. Can't be... You're like at from yeah. five to seven. Yes. You're deliberate with your time. Right. So you're not like with your kids and also working. No, I've never been good at that. But yeah, I think that I realized like this thing about Microsoft Excel advertising all of a sudden seemed really trivial to me. Yeah. And I felt like I was never spending enough time with him. Mm. And I think you said it earlier, I've always been really good at following my, um, my instincts. Like mm-hmm. this doesn't feel right anymore. I can't do it. 
And I remember the person who made that whole um, job share thing happen for me was furious with me. And I said, I just can't do it. And he said, well, I stuck my neck out, and this is a new policy that Microsoft has done for you. And you're like, oh, great, it'll serve a lot of I'm women like, to come. Sorry, it's not really about you. Yeah. Right? This one is, is about Danny. Yeah. Yeah. And so how long did you stay at home, and what did that feel like for you as it relates to, um, how do I put this? You know how women, when you're at kind of the conversation at a cocktail party or on the playground, mm -hmm. and how you see yourself relative to how other people see you, how did that feel for you? Yeah, and that's a really, that's an insightful question because I think there's this sort of two teams that seem to have been. I think it's changing. It's changing. It's totally changing, thank God. But um, it used to be you were the at-home mom who obviously wasn't very ambitious or you were the working mom who obviously didn't love your children as much. Right? This was These were your choices. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? And, and so I kind of have this unique perspective where um, I had 10 years single working person, 10 years at-home mom not working. So you felt like at a cocktail party one identity in that way? Yeah, so there was always something to talk about. And it's still true where people say, what do you do? Mm. It's not who are you. It's what do you do? And that's mm. what defines who you are, right. sadly, because it's it's not true, although it's kind of true for me right now, I think. But anyway, so 10 years at home, um, Danny's six years older than Ellie. So by the time she went to kindergarten, that was a 10-year stretch, was joyous to me, mm -hmm. really fun. And there was quite a community where I lived of people who were doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I took up tennis, which felt was fun. Couldn't do it as a child. Now I didn't mind being bad at it. Um, and then, you know, served on this committee or that Well, I was about to PTA say, my guess or... is that you probably went full-blown, hardcore yes. stay-at-home mom. Yeah. Do you know Volunteer. what I'm saying? Volunteer. Yes. Yeah. That yeah. you probably put that same level of pressure to be like, well, I better fill my time with some intention around, yeah. you know, giving back. Yeah. You are way. who you are. Right. Yeah. So you know, we would definitely spend more time at the park than anyone else for you know mm -hmm. very driven about whatever it is that we did but um and then when ellie went off to kindergarten is when i got involved with seattle chocolate so mm -hmm. and what was your involvement well we were investors initially mm -hmm. and then when the earthquake happened that you referred to and it destroyed the building and it was going to go out of business um we stepped up and became the majority owner mm. that was a year before ellie went off to kindergarten and at that point i was ready to do something i thought actually i would be a teacher I was like, I love, and I feel like the kids aren't really getting enough English. I had this fantastic teacher when I was in ninth grade, Ms. Maddie, wherever you are out there, Ms. Maddie, and nobody wanted her because she was hard. And the other one, the other teacher, I can't remember, was Pomerley or something, he did literature and all kinds of fun stuff, and Ms. Maddie diagrammed sentences. So I had a teacher like that in fifth grade. Um, I went to Lakeside here, and I had the Mr. Bailey, and I learned how to diagram sentences. And I st I want to look back on that. It was my favorite. Oh, you loved it. I loved it. I geeked out on it completely. And I, I'm guessing you know which preposition to use, an objective or a nom. You know, you know this. I Very think few I do. did. Yeah. I think I've lost some of it. Yeah. And I do too. And it, it's a pet peeve when people misuse. Totally. The English language. Yeah. Although, as I've gotten older, I don't know what's happening to my brain, but I like forget words. I can't think. Oh, all that's the time. different. At least I'm it's literally like I correct. have no idea what I'm talking about, and I forget <laughs> what I'm talking about. I do too. All the time. This is definitely age. Yeah. Yes. And I half the time just realize that I have not expanded my vocabulary as much as I wish that I had. Well, it's back to the reading thing. Yes. And then, of course, I have no idea what the question was, which is back to the aging yeah, thing. Yeah, what, <laughs> what are we talking about? What are we talking about? How did we start talking about Miss <laughs> Maddie? She doesn't know because she's distracted right now. Oh, that you were a stay-at-home mom and that you were going to do it better. Oh, I want to be a teacher. A teacher. Okay. So how did you and your husband get into investing and what did you think that you wanted to be doing was investing kind of the new thing no um, investing was not was not my thing um we uh, it was actually more rick's thing to invest and i thought it was cool because it was a chocolate company and mm -hmm. i've always been a huge, like, and i eat chocolate a huge chocoholic i've had a piece every day of my life um but yeah that wasn't really my thing but when i was going after ellie went off to kindergarten i knew i was kind of done with the volunteer world i mean i still volunteer in mm -hmm. on boards and that kind of thing but I needed something a little more substantial mm -hmm. for me. And um, so I was going to become a teacher. Mm. But then I thought, well, actually, when Seattle Chocolate was still struggling to cover payroll a whole year after the earthquake and this big step up of investment for us where we became majority owners, um, I, I, it was actually Rick's suggestion. He said, why don't you go back and just help them with marketing? Because that's what I had done at mm -hmm. Microsoft 10 years earlier. And I thought, well, that could be fun. And so I had it in my head <clears throat> that I was going to work like 
just 15 to 20 hours a week. Mm -hmm. 10 to 2. Yes, while Ellie's in school. But I was actually going to make it a little later because I wanted to go to kickboxing still because mm. there were some things I had I really had gotten worked into my to. life. Yeah. yeah. Get and a so massage I, here and there. Yeah, it's just going to be fine. And then when I went back, six weeks later, the guy quit, who was the CEO. Mm. Because I was like, I don't understand why you don't have like a Valentine product. And I don't know had all this opinion. And it, some things happened and he quit. Six weeks in. How many employees were there at the time? Oh, probably 25 or 30. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so you were the kind of majority investor slash part-time marketing person. Yes. And so how, how did the employees view you? Were they like, that's the boss or that's our new marketing person that's part-time? Well, and actually what happened was I joined as a CEO <clears throat> because my father had volunteered to help for a while without receiving a paycheck because he's like a, this really great sales professional. And they were really struggling. So he's like, you know, I'll just come in and consult. And the guy who was running the company wouldn't share any information with him. Mm, so he helpful. said to me, if you're going to do this, you have to be the CEO so that he has to report to you or he won't share. Mm. And then it'll just be a waste of your time. So I came in with this weird sort of title that is partially why he quit. Right? He's like, what the heck? I'm running the company. Why are you giving her the title? Because I'm the owner. Right. Mm. So people didn't see me as the marketing person. They saw me as the CEO, but I know for sure that many of them thought that I was a dumb housewife and was going to take the company down. Hmm. I guess they didn't realize it was already down. Were, were they, <laughs> were they like, disrespectful towards you? No. No, they just left me alone. Um, there's only one person remaining from those days, and she is, you know, mm -hmm. amazing, has my back. I knew that you were kind of a heart-led um, heart-centered leader. And I knew that you would always kind of do the right thing. But I don't think that I realized how much um, you're doing as far as kind of social justice and doing doing the right by the world. Can yep. you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Well, initially, it was sort of ad hoc. You know, people would ask for chocolate for this event or that cause. And, and I just gave it all the time. And we didn't have any purpose around it. And when we came out with the J. Coco line about eight years ago, we decided to really focus the philanthropy mm -hmm. in a way that would actually move the needle in some one way, right? And so pick, we pick a lane, and you pick yes, we picked hunger, okay? Because we were thinking of chocolate ultimately as a food, mm -hmm. right? It was part of my passion is to turn chocolate away from candy so strictly and more into the food area, and so that was sort of early on. We're like, you know, it's a food that you share. It's a food, and there's so much power in chocolate because it is America's favorite flavor. So. Just by virtue of being a chocolate bar, we can enable our consumers to actually participate in the give back. So there was a lot of sort of excitement around that notion when it came to me. Mm -hmm. So we built it in when you bought a J. Coco bar, we would donate a serving of fresh food to a food bank. And at the time, it was sort of at the tail end of the recession. And I didn't want to give back like a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, companies do to the origin, which is super needed, by the way, and sort of more where I'm focused now. I wanted to give back to American families who are struggling because... One in six families is food challenged. This is just after the recession, and it felt like we needed to really turn our eyes inward to mm -hmm. give locally. So we did it. We partnered with food banks in areas where the product was sold. So New York, San Francisco, and Seattle. That's incredible. And so what is what has been the result of that? Well, it's really kind of that's that whole sort of blowfish effect that you yeah. have because of the popularity of the product category. So we're over 4 million servings of food that we've served you know, so far, donated so far. And just to those three, so it actually makes a little bit of a difference that has to, to them. It feel good. It feels really good. So now it's become like our purpose and how can we, you know, so everything that we do, like we have this campaign coming out on the 19th Amendment. I'm sure you know, but mm -hmm. um, this year in August is the 100-year anniversary of women's right to vote, the ratification of the 19th Amendment. So as women, a woman and women-led company, we decided we needed to do something. So we came out with a bar and a bag that we had this woman design um, and it's all about sort of women, female empowerment. So making room at the table for each other. We're better together. Um, and then we kind of, one of the bar says, you're my hero. The idea being that you, for Mother's Day, or just thanks for being there for me, whoever it is in your life, right? Like a mentorship, thank you. Or maybe it's your daughter graduating from college. You're my hero. So anyhow, um, that gives is going to give back to um, Mary's Place. So we're trying to, with special things, we are trying to have a particular... Um, give back that means something to that organization or to. And who's leading that effort? Is that, does that come from you? I kind of, it was kind of my idea. Yeah. But I'm partnering with some people that I used to work with at Microsoft and some, I'm part of some women organizations like International Women's Forum. And everybody that has heard about it is like, we want in. And we're hoping to have like a big celebration maybe at the Seattle Downtown Park in August on the Sunday before the actual anniversary where 
all women will come wearing white sashes and kind of walk from the Space Needle and there'll be like music and Girl Scouts and maybe even like one of those old fashioned raised platforms where we'll have like a couple of public servants, you know, um, Jenny Durkin or whoever it might be, um, say inspirational things like and maybe even invite everyone in the audience to, you know, reach or turn to the person next to you and ask what you can do to help them in their journey. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. So that's sort of a movement we're working on this year. That's a big deal. It's fun. It's really cool. And so obviously you're very strong at the branding part. (laughs) Um, Couple questions. One, how did you come up with the name J. Coco? So my name is Jean. J E A N. I had a feeling it was yeah. the gene. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, a lot J of people Coco. don't. Yeah, and then cocoa is you know chocolate. Chocolate. And the reason I did that was I um, I inherited the Seattle chocolate brand, and it was about ten years old when I took over the running of the company. And as somebody who had a marketing background, I always wondered if that sort of geographic name was something that limiting. could have legs, or yeah. would it be limiting? And I did some research over time, and it turned out to be a neutral. I think that now it's a benefit. You know, people love and respect Seattle, and there's so much about the Seattle brand that mm-hmm. actually supports a quality brand in chocolate. People love food here. People are very natural, mm-hmm. very outdoorsy. You know, I think in other places of the world, they actually look up to Seattle now. So it's a, it's a good brand. Yeah. But J. Coco was all about being geographically neutral. And what are you doing to make sure that your um, packaging, I guess, is sustainable? And but Our first name is Seattle. And mm. Seattle people are always on the forefront. Of like, course. I love that you wait in line at the airport for the water filler because, yeah. you know, we're not buying the plastic bottles. Hallelujah. Yes. But I remember going uh, two things to Brazil and learning from one of the cocoa farmers that the most devastating thing to the um, rainforest is palm kernel oil, which we were using in our truffles. Mm. So I went home. Nobody pushed back and even noticed, right, or commented. No one would know. They just didn't know yet. They would eventually, I'm sure. But um, And we completely changed over to coconut oil. And then the other thing, this whole, you know, the whales, my favorite animal, and they're dying in the plastic in the oceans and all that is just absolutely devastating to me. Like, it truly keeps me up at night. And here we are wrapping each of our individual twist-wrapped truffles in a plastic wrap. Mm. And that adds up. So um, we did some research, and we found a company in England. The technology was developed in Japan, and they use um, sustainable eucalyptus trees to create that same sort of shiny wrap that we use. Mm. And so we source it from them, but it's such an early science that, first of all, it's expensive, but the waste is incredible. Like, they waste a lot. We waste a lot. So that doesn't feel good quite yet. But my operations people are like, it's costing us twice as much to do this. We can't do it yet. And I'm like, oh, no. Somebody has to pioneer because if we don't get it right, then we're not going to give them the business, which is ultimately how how they're going to work out the kinks. Same thing for us. We're having to buy a new machine to wrap our truffles because ours just wasted too much. Mm -hmm. So that'll be like true, like a quarter of a million dollar investment. And when is that? When are you starting to do that? Well, we already do it. We just waste a lot right now. So. And has anybody covered that, or is this? Are we first talking about it here? Because I didn't know that. I think that you might be first. Yeah. Well, so we need to get this out. I'm going to call a couple of people and get you like an article or something. I mean, I feel like it's it's really it's so satisfying. So we have it's got to be satisfying because like you know what? There's always a choice. Do we do the right thing for the business or do we do the mm-hmm. right thing, the right thing, That's like right. really the right thing? And That's so right. even though this might be pressing on your margins, how satisfying that yeah. you can pioneer this and it's hopefully other um, other consumer packaged goods will follow. Exactly. And so it, those are the, we're the ones that are going to make a difference. I think consumers all can make choices or you can also be a business mm-hmm. that makes good choices that gives consumers an opportunity to do the right thing. Yeah. I mean, if you try to go to another country and buy water, it's always going to be in plastic, right. right? You don't have a choice. Right. So, you have to provide these choices to consumers so that they can Yeah. And you're you're also like in that way innovating. Yeah, isn't it? And learning. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. I know that when you and I see each other, we talk a lot about culture. How many employees do you have now? Uh, 65 to 70, depending on the temp situation, come the fourth quarter. It's a very seasonal business, chocolate. And so the season is January because of... Uh, you know, Valentine is not a huge... So uh, is it like the holidays? It's I know the holidays. That... It's the holiday. So it starts in September. I was goes thinking it was probably January, the holidays. Yeah. Because you do capture a little bit of that Valentine. But it's mostly about um, the fourth quarter when people are eating chocolate, gifting it. For sure. Stocking stuffers, all that. Yeah. Yeah. And so how would you describe your culture? I would say our culture is, you know, our corporate values are working in a spirit of collaboration. We have a lot of women. We're probably 80% women. So it's kind of natural to collaborate. Like we often, you know, 
decide things by talking. Um, So there's a lot of that collaboration. And then, um, of course, world-class customer service because it is just chocolate. We don't need to ever pick a fight with somebody over chocolate. (laughs) Um, and even serving each other internally. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we are, um, we sort of have that built-in philanthropy and also um, cherishing and celebrating diversity and innovation. Those, uh, I think, sort of are how we define ourselves and what we hold important. Yeah. And so I would imagine that working at a company where you're selling chocolate, because like you said, it's a happy thing. It's like having a puppy or a baby in the office. (laughs) You're like, oh, good, we get to eat chocolate. (laughs) How does that play into what it feels like in the office? Is there a fun, healthy competition around like naming flavors or like which one's doing the best? Do you have to be a chocolate lover to work there? I think you kind of do. Yeah, have to be a chocolate lover. Um, and most people are, luckily, so it's not a limiting pool yeah, at all. I have two friends who don't eat chocolate, and I'm like, it's weird. Yeah, I'm immediately skeptical. Yeah. Um, but we have this sort of really fun R&D process where everybody kind of gets to participate. And we've kind of systematized it as much mm-hmm. as we can. can yes. In fact, Tell I've been thinking about doing like some sort of a panel oh, of yes. outside people that would crowdsourcing. have maybe. Yeah, a little crowdsourcing of new flavors. Ideas come from everywhere. Our operations people come up with ideas. Maybe it was a restaurant or something. They, you know, mm-hmm. they a recipe they tried in salad. What's the current trend? Yeah, I think it is very um, sort of heart healthy things. And health is a, is a trend that is probably here to stay. I, I hope, hope so. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, one of the trends is re- reduction of sugar, which is difficult to get, in the chocolate. Yeah. And that's where the high percent cacao comes into play. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have this thing at Seattle Chocolate where we have sort of seasons that we have invented. So we'll have like the spring, the summer, and the fall line. And part of it is to give retailers who are always struggling for something exciting and new um, to, to draw people in. We're trying to create those little holidays outside of Valentine, Halloween, Easter, and Christmas, mm-hmm. right? And so we have a lot of innovation that is sort of on theme there. So if we're doing something for the fall, we want it to be, we have had Mexican hot chocolate and, of course, pumpkin spice and um, peanut butter pretzel, which we f- just feels warm somehow or like it, it would does. warm you up on a cold day. Um, and then we have uh, apple pie a la mode as our new one. So we try to do, so that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. We'll brainstorm ideas that remind us of that particular time of year that we think would translate well to chocolate. And then we have this R&D process where everybody tastes and everybody gets an equal vote. Of course, at the end of the day, if I don't like it, it's probably not going to happen. But people will be like, that's, you know, and some really sophisticated palates come to play. People who are in accounting that just have a really advanced palate can help us with that. Well, I also loved seeing, as a Jewish person, I don't keep kosher, but I have a lot of our East Coast family keeps kosher and Mm -hmm. friends that keep kosher. I don't Mm -hmm. know what you're doing around this, but I saw that, is all the chocolate certified kosher? Yeah, in order to be kosher, 100% of every ingredient that you source, even for R&D, for everything has to be kosher. And the rabbi visits two, three times a year. So I don't know what you're doing in that category, but it almost seems not marketed well enough. No, I don't really market it very well. It's because funny. I was like, yeah. wait a second, I feel like I need to make sure that everyone who keeps kosher knows that J. Mm-hmm. Coco is certified kosher. And so is Seattle chocolate. Everything on All the plant. Mm-hmm. And I, That's actually a really big deal. It's a big deal in other regions. It's not as big of a deal a, in our region. I just think it's a big deal in general. When people are trying to find kosher food, especially in this area, it's hard to find. So, I mean, you could have it in the kosher section also, is all I'm saying. Okay, well, if you can connect me with yeah. someone. I don't even know. No, I totally agree. we got to find a guy who knows yeah, a guy. we <laughs> we got a guy. And then also that you've got some that are gluten-free and vegan. Yeah. Well, chocolate in its natural state is, of course, gluten-free and vegan. But when you add milk, well, yeah. then you're going to not be vegan. So and milk chocolates are not. Just cocoa or cacao or whatever is not. It's both. Yeah, it's vegan. It's, it's from a plant. It's from a tree. It's it's as pure and good right. as anything, right? Right. But you have to um, have the gluten-free when you add things like biscotti. That would not be gluten-free, mm-hmm. but we work. And then the other one that's a big trend that the retailers are kind of wanting is non-GMO. Mm. So that's tricky, especially for milk because it comes from a cow. We don't know exactly where the cows are. It's very difficult to have that certified non-GMO. Yeah. So how do you go about that? Well, we really can't for the milk products, can't for the milk nor products. can anybody really, but um, the dark chocolates we do. Yeah. And um, because I know that um, I also like to have chocolate as mm-hmm. much as I can, and I prefer milk chocolate, but I know dark chocolate's healthier, quote unquote. I guess I'm supposed to eat more dark yeah. chocolate, so I've kind of gotten used to But I'm also like, one bite of dark chocolate doesn't make me have that same response, like I just want to eat the whole bar. <laughs> 
Which is maybe why it's good. I think that that might be. I guess I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to understand that. Like, why is dark chocolate better for me? That's such a really good question. And it's funny. We joke internally about the snobbery around dark chocolate over yeah, milk like chocolate. Dark chocolate. Yes, Real I chocolate only lovers. like dark. And then you see them sneaking milk because I, milk is everybody so really good. loves milk, right? It's so But I think good. people, some people are very disciplined about what they eat. Not and, me, clearly. Well, no. I mean, you, you are, but I'm you want to allow yourself those little pleasures in life, yeah. right? Milk chocolate just has less of the heart healthy liquor or dark chocolate, like cacao. It just has mm. less of it because you've added milk and you've added typically more sugar. Mm. So it's a creamier experience. So it's the I sugar. I love milk chocolate and yeah. there's nothing. Yeah, it's the sugar and the milk, right? Because it, it's no longer as high a percentage of the good stuff. So I have to tell you a geeky fact. I like the geeky the stuff. The geeky stuff is fun. The chocolate cacao is the food that is highest in antioxidants by a lot, by like double the next okay. closest one, which is walnuts. So people think of blueberries and they think of, you know, acai and yeah. all these other things. It's chocolate. But so that's why people who are like, ooh, this is actually good for me. If you could eat 100% cacao, very painful, very, you know, yeah, it's not an acquired so taste. I go like 85% as like as high as great. I can 85 is great. Yeah. And, and it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to be doing an 85 in the J. Coco line from Peru, and it'll bring out those really interesting sort of varietal notes. Almost like a cinnamon. You'll like that. Sometimes it's cinnamon. Sometimes it's different fruit, or sometimes it's, you know, just acidic. I've had things that taste like banana, uh, and there's no banana like added. That. No, it's not my favorite, but it's interesting that it just appears from the bean because yeah. of where it was grown and the terroir and all that. And so how much have you learned about um, kind of the farming and the practices around cacao? I've learned a ton, and so that's where my new... That's the geeky side? Yeah, and also where the future needs to come from. Like, we do the sustainability well, of the Well, I was going to say, I read that also, which I was like, of course she's making those considerations, but I don't know that that everyone is. I don't think people understand it. So I did a TED Talk in December, um, just TEDx Women Bellevue. I joke, like, who have curly hair? You know, it just was very, very specific, but it doesn't matter. Curly hair that's now pink. Yeah, <laughs> I do have pink hair now. People um, can't see you, but maybe we'll post a vi video of this or a picture. <laughs> exactly. But my TED Talk, I, I soul-searched. What should I write about? I mean, should I write about transformation? Should I write about self-discovery in some way? You know, ideas worth sharing. And I take Ted with a lot of respect. And I decided to write about chocolate. I say write because you have to write it first and mm -hmm. then you have And then to you have to get like, trained, right, yeah, on how to do a Yeah, it's really talk. an involved process. And I have to tell you something, the hardest thing I've ever done. Uh, one of my girlfriends just did one too and she said the same thing. And she's, it she's like you, total baller. Hard. Yeah. yeah. But so satisfying because it was so hard and I worked so hard to do it. But anyway, I chose chocolate because I thought, I don't think people know very much about chocolate. No. And so one woman honestly came up to someone that was at the event, and she said, you know, when I heard that someone was talking about cho chocolate, I thought, how trivial. And I said, bingo. That's why we needed to talk about it, because it's anything but trivial. It's like one of the oldest crops. It's like really at risk because of where it's grown in the world, which is very equatorial and, you know, sort of thinking about all the climate and everything that's happening. There's climate issues. There's just regular disease and strife that any other farmed product has, and, and just the farmer's not making enough money for for this to be a future for them. Hmm. And if they don't farm, well, you don't really want to go to somewhere around Ecuador and do the work. So what are we going to do? We're going to run out of chocolate. So that's basically the theme of my TED Talk. Oh. Yeah. And so where do you source your chocolate? So right now we source it mostly from uh, West Africa. And I don't actually make the chocolate myself. In other words, I don't take the bean and turn it into chocolate. So there's many different people that touch chocolate. There's the farmers, there's the exporters of the beans, and then there's the people that turn the bean into chocolate, um, the makers, the chocolate mm. makers, and then there's the chocolatiers. So the chocolatiers turn it into a confection, and that's what we do. So I buy chocolate that you could eat, basically, mm. from a, comp a Belgian company that sources mostly from the Ivory Coast in Ghana, where 70% of the world's cacao comes from. Interesting. Yeah. And then the J. Coco line is about to um, have all Peruvian chocolate. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing something different with that line because I want to bring in that sort of the Ivory Coast and Ga Ghanaian chocolate tends to um, have more of a fudgy flavor profile, mm. I'll say, you know, the, the stuff that we're used to. And the South American, Central American, and other interesting sort of lower yield um, origins have different flavor profiles, mm. and it varies by tree. It's fascinating. This it's, is fascinating. It is fascinating. So anyway, the Peruvian, we found the source, like um, the Rupa Rupa region, which is like at the base of the, the Andes. And um, so all the silt runs off the mountains, and you have a different sort of soil. And Peru is actually the epicenter of cacao. 
that's where it is indigenous to. So in the Peruvian, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's a fantastic country. I have not been there, but I was just thinking as we were talking or as you were talking, I was thinking, I wonder if she, and I'm going to ask you, like when you travel, obviously you're going to different chocolatiers everywhere you go. And so do you geek out with them? Like, hey, let me talk to the owner. I kind of am curious where this, where you source this chocolate. Yeah. Yeah, and and people in the chocolate industry are pretty open to talking, you know, um, and supporting each other. It's a passion and and it's hard. Yeah. So it's like nobody else really understands how hard it is except for other people that are in the business. So right. there's that sort of shared you know, commiseration, I guess. Yes. And then the shared love of the product. So, yeah, I do geek out. And I like to go. I like to have my vacations around sourcing. Hmm. So it's and not yeah, just perfect. because not just I'm looking and for like the write off really cool places. Yeah. <laughs> because it's really cool places. Yeah. So we're going to go Ellie and um, my husband, Alberto, and I are going to go with this board that I'm on. It's all about sort of garments in uh, Ghana. And I'm like, Ghana? What? There's tons yes. of cocoa growing there. So we're going to add on to the trip and um, and see some of the farms in Ghana, too. So we've been to Peru, Brazil, Costa Rica, um, Ecuador, Nicaragua, uh, all, all these really places. cool places that are off the beaten track for most people. Right. So. And so when they meet you, it must be really cool for them to see um, their, their cocoa or their Cacao, chocolate, chocolate come full circle. And you're like, here's the packaging. Here's what it looks like. Here's how we're enjoying it. And so are they like, wow, when they see all the different ingredients that you're adding in? How many different flavors do you have? Oh, my gosh. This is like a guilty admission here. Probably 25. I I think I read it was even more than that. I can't remember. Well, 25 maybe bars. And then I have another uh, probably 15 or 18 truffles, little Mm. twist wrap things. And then those are, so good. those are just the perfect little 50 oh. calorie bite size. Okay, good to know. And what's which one is the best selling flavor? Are we allowed to talk about that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We love it. Yeah. San Juan sea salt, which is milk. So okay. even though everybody wants to admit to the dark love, the best selling product is for us is milk. And we're pretty 50 50 in our offerings. It seems like most chocolate companies would have that, right? Where milk is the better selling? I think the American palate, while changing, still does have a slight preference for milk. Yeah. Okay. Well, I like that. And so tell me about some of the incredible partnerships that you've been able to form. Has that been intentional or just kind of like you met a person who met a person as far as um, being in SeaTac, which I love? Oh, yeah. And just also how your um, chocolates are in all the meals on Alaska Airlines. The funny thing about the Alaska Airlines, which is just, I mean, I almost won't travel on another airline except for Alaska. I love that airline so much. And even the way that they sort of approach their chocolate gift to people. So if you're in first class, you get the little truffle. Mm-hmm. But if you're a gold flyer not upgraded to first class, you get the J. Cocoa bar, which yeah. is, you know, three times the size. Yeah. And, and a That's much more I get all the time. Product. And then I save so it for travel. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that one actually started because – so when I went back to work and I thought it was going to be that 20 hours and it, it turned quickly into 40, 50, whatever, I went to the University of Washington sorority system and found this woman, Trista, hello out there. And she was Ellie's babysitter and Danny's because he was still just 11. And um, after she graduated, we had the same birthday. She was amazing. And after uh, she graduated, I hired her at Seattle Chocolate. And she called on Alaska Airlines and got that business for me. So she called and like pitched. Yeah, she just called on them and turned it into a, a truffle in first class. And now the truffles in the cheese platter, which they can't even keep on board, right? If you're in anything past row 13, you don't get one. You're not getting a cheese platter. (laughs) That has our truffle in it. And then um, actually we turned it into J. Coco later. So it just keeps adding on. So I love Alaska. And as for the airport, that was always a dream of mine because I was like, what is a better fit than that? You yeah. got Get people the who are traveling. On the airplane. They yeah. want to eat. They want to bring a gift. We are Seattle chocolate. So, of course, it's the gift from the area. And we're manufactured like three miles from the airport. Um, and so you, there's a big process to get. That's very coveted space, extremely expensive well, yeah. space. And your but actual physical space is a good one. Is a good one. Yeah. It's not yeah. just in the airport. It's like front and center. And how I got my foot in the door is actually a tribute to the Port of Seattle because they have a program where they open it up um, to small businesses. They want to encourage small businesses to get mm-hmm. a little bit of exposure in that way. Mm-hmm. And so they have these kiosks. You'll see them in yeah, right across. Glassy Baby. So Glassy Baby, we were there. Seattle Hats was there. And it's just like for 18 months max. And they've got it all set up for you so you don't have to do a build out, all that expensive stuff. 
and then it's less reduced rent, right? Mm-hmm. So that and was really And it's less risk for everyone because it's like, let's everyone. just see if this yeah. takes. Yeah. So I think it's really progressive and nice of them to... And how does that work? Do they take just a percentage of your revenues or do you pay rent or how does... It's like a mall? They It is like a mall and they do take a... Well, there's a set minimum mm-hmm. and then they, if you are successful, you'll pay a little bit of extra. So mm-hmm. that is based on your revenue. But when we moved... So that went really well and we were like, we love this. It's amazing. And so we um, went through the whole process of applying, which is competitive, and we got the space directly across the hall where we are right now on Concourse C, and it doubled the sales. Why? It's the same space. It's right across well, the I hall. I think because people go in. And then yeah. that you see, and you have more, more SKUs in there, right? I mean, you have a yeah, lot more and to better offer. lighting. And bigger. And better much lighting. better lighting. Yeah, and a giant sign that says yeah. chocolate. Yeah. No, it's incredible. Yeah, it's hard for me not to go in there. Yeah, I always get selfies of my friends in there. Oh, I'm sure. Everyone's mm-hmm. like, here I am on yeah. another trip. Supporting you. Thank and you. so what do you what do you feel most proud of as a, as the CEO? I think it's the team of people that I've put together. And that was an early realization that I'm only as good as my weakest link, right? And it's hard to let people go. Um, I'm still not very good at it. Well, but no, one, no one's good at that. No one's good at it. Hopefully. You don't, you don't really want to be good no, at that. No. You just, you just want to recognize it and be good at recognizing it. Yeah. And then you figure out the course. But So my team of people is amazing. Like I couldn't do and couldn't have done over the last 18 years what we've done without them. I yeah. feel like I always tell people I don't really do anything anymore, which isn't entirely good... true right now because I'm now running marketing yeah. because of a, somebody leaving. But... Well, it also sounds like you're very good at that. Aye, it's fun. Yeah, the marketing isn't like in your blood. It's part of your DNA. Yeah. It's just how I sort of think about the business. Yeah, it's amazing. And so when you're not working, what are you doing for fun to relax? I really like getting outside. I like biking, but I like hiking more. Mm-hmm. You sort of get, I mean, you have such access here to... Yes. when just, it's not raining. Yeah, I've been in the rain, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I hiked Kilimanjaro back in 2001. And so the training here is amazing. Like I was on the trip with a guy from Florida, and he literally was walking stairs in a mall to train. I'm like, oh, we have mountains right here that are amazing. And I just was outside. Yeah. So I think hiking in just that fresh air Mm -hmm. and the sound of water potentially, and that's what really feeds my soul, taking my dog and my husband for a walk. I'm trying to get to the kind of core of what motivates you. Is is money part of it? No. Or is that, that doesn't ever seem like it's part of your thing? No. And it held me back for years because... um, you know, right place at the right time, late 80s at Microsoft has given me this great, well, first of all, I wouldn't have been able to do Seattle Chocolate without it. And I wouldn't have had the sort of strength and confidence that I didn't have to answer to anyone. Right. Or that you're like, I can't pay my bills or take care of my children. Right. Yeah. And I didn't have to do the VC route where, you know, then you're constantly showing your financials and they're like, you're fired, right? Which I would have been 10 times over for sure. So I always had that protection because of that. But also it kind of kept me from really caring that much about money. And I just don't think it's a real motivator for me. Mm -hmm. And it's only in recent years where I've come to understand that the financial statements are actually the best way of judging whether you're running a viable business or not. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily for me even about money. It's about a measurement. Mm -hmm. And the greatest metric, of course, is are you able to make money? Right. Right. But when you think about money, what do you do you think about it as it relates to because I don't think of you as being like materialistic around it. Or yeah. is, there, is there a revenue number that you're like, hey, if I get it to X, Y, Z? No. Again, I'm not. I, I should. It's like if I have. Mm-hmm. So I'm the exact same. I mean, <laughs> obviously, I've got revenue metrics. Yeah. But it's much more measured for me of like clients that are happy and candidates that are happy. Totally. And for you, like people taking pictures at, right. you know, at, at the airport or yeah. people being like, oh, my gosh, I just had your chocolate. It's the best. You well, know? I, I feel like that's always for me been my dream and goal is to have Seattle Chocolate and J. Coco be respected brands. Mm-hmm. And do you feel um, successful? I think I think it's come a long way. I remember when I first started working there and would be at a party and people would say, what do you do? Seattle Chocolate, they'd be like, oh, where are you located? Thinking it was a store. Mm. I'm like, no, no, we're a manufacturer that's now 10 years old, yeah. 10 or 11, but no yeah. one had heard of it at all, even in our own backyard. So we've come a long way in our own Pacific Northwest for awareness and I think respect. Mm-hmm. And now we're trying to move you know, eastward and southward to have it be, we're in 49 of the 50 states, Japan, Canada. So we've made good strides, but we still don't have very good sort of awareness of our brands. So there's a lot of room for growth. You definitely do locally. Locally we do. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. How would you say that you would do things 
differently if you could talk to your younger self? That's my Oprah question. Such a good one, too, because I mean, and you should reflect on this in life, right? Mm-hmm. I think having more faith in myself. I think I was so quick always to be sure that I wasn't the right person or that I wasn't doing it right. Um, was you know, the imposter syndrome thing? Yeah, major imposter syndrome. Um, I truly wasn't you know, very well trained for this job. It was learning on the job. But then even beyond that, where it was like, I think I'm doing this company and its employees a huge disservice. There's probably 10 years of thinking of that. Seriously, I've been doing this for 18. So the last eight, I'm like, no, no, you guys, I am the right person. I've got this. Yeah. yeah. So to my younger self, you know, give yourself the necessary runway to be able to accomplish what you need to accomplish. These things don't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. Don't judge yourself harshly when they don't happen right away as if you are never going to get it. Mm-hmm. You will. Just keep at it, right? And I did keep at it. Is like that this, your optimism or your grit? I think it's optimism. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, someday it'll turn around. You know, at the end, end of every year, I was like, well, it wasn't a good year, but next year will be because we're going to do this. Are. And it ultimately did. I just needed a longer runway. That's you needed all. a longer runway. Mm-hmm. And you needed to not have your VCs in your ears, which is great. Yes. Very lucky. And so if people want to get your chocolate, like today, I just want to go get it. Where can I get it? In the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, in the Pacific Northwest. pretty much everywhere, which is awesome. Pretty much everywhere. And then what about if I just want to go get it in bulk? Um, So that's a good question. Bulk is actually our number one seller at the airport, too. People love putting their own mix together. Um, Probably the easiest thing is online, you know, Mm -hmm. seattletalkwood.com. I think Made in Washington stores sell it in bulk. And um, we have a little bulk program that we're testing right now at QFC to see how that works. Okay. Maybe it'll be successful. And what if, are you still doing your factory tours? I, yes. I just did that. Well, oh, not did. just. Yeah. I'm saying like a couple of years ago. Yeah. So about two and a half years ago, we opened our factory to tours by building it out in a way that people could walk on a nine foot elevated platform behind a glass so that it would be safe for the food still and safe for them, forklifts screaming around the corner. Um, and that's been really successful. And it's turned us, that's sort of our third brand, the Experience Chocolate Project. And we actually do like a haunted factory tour where we shut it down for a couple of weeks right before Halloween, and we we hire actors, like a dozen actors, to dress up and put spooky masks. Not even spooky, just white masks, mm-hmm. like Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. And just sort of follow people around. But it's uh, something for the whole family, and it's been really, really fun to do. We have I a whole storyline. You should. They'll love it. That's and you'll love it. really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't done that one. Yeah. So sort of chocolate is not just... Food, but also a source experience. of fun and experience and entertainment. Oh, yeah. This is always my final question on the podcast. What would you say ultimately fuels you? Mm. Success. I just want to feel like my brands, my company, and I am well respected, and that will make me feel successful. Well, then you already are. I'm not there yet. <laughs> there's always room for improvement. Always. Yeah, there's yeah. really no finish, right? There's you just, no, you just yeah. keep going. And I feel like as long as I'm learning and growing and it's stimulating me, then I'm going to keep going. Thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks, Shana. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.